This is The Guardian. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Linda, keep looking forward. It was Linda, yeah? Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to make some space, okay? I'm coming into the front of the vehicle with you as soon as I can. This is Guardian science correspondent Linda Geddes being rescued from the wreckage of a car by firefighters. You're going to hear a lot of noise now and a lot of movement, but it's absolutely nothing to worry about, okay? Now this isn't a real car crash, it's a simulation and it's designed to understand how much somebody's neck and head moves as they're being freed or, to give it its proper name, extricated from a vehicle after a collision. Okay, your airway's clear and unobstructed, close your mouth for me. Good. So I'm going to put some oxygen on you. Last year, over 7,000 people in England required extrication after a traffic accident. And for decades, the absolute priority when rescuing victims has been to minimise movement of the spine. Because a shift of just a millimetre could potentially turn someone into a wheelchair user. At least, that's what emergency services used to think. But now, thanks to new research using simulated accident rescues like this one, that wisdom is starting to change. So, what have researchers found? And how will it change the outlook for survivors of traffic accidents? From The Guardian, I'm Anand Jagatia, sitting in for Madeleine Finlay. And this is Science Weekly. I'm just going to put a bag now over the steering wheel. Okay, just going to slide it between your legs. So Linda, this sounds very realistic and very intense. Even though it was a simulation, when you were in the car, did it feel real? The whole thing's very, very intense. I'd actually climbed into that car um, about five minutes earlier and then it all just kicked off when they started the simulation and I, I felt really genuinely very stressed and quite terrified. Breathe normal. Okay, good. I'm just going to count your breathing. So can you walk me through what actually happens as these firefighters are trying to free you from the car? I was very much encouraged not to look round behind me, to just keep looking forward. Okay, front doors released, pack X, I think is restricted. Quite quickly, they opened the door. And they did say at that point, this is plan B. So, you know, if, if your condition deteriorates, we will get you out through through the passenger door. But 
because we're trying to minimize your movement, we're going to take you out through plan A, which takes much longer, but um, it means taking you out through the roof. And you can hear in the audio, it sounds like they're basically ripping the car into pieces around you. In my legs. Okay, any pain in your neck? No, but my... That is literally what they're doing, yeah. They use these things called the uh, jaws of life, which I always want to call jaws of death, um, to literally kind of chew through the car frame just behind the driver's seat. So that bit of roof, they're kind of cutting in there. And then they're also, they're using these big rotating blades, I think, to kind of cut through the back of the car. And then they slide this rigid plastic boards down behind your neck and down your back and then they recline your seat we're gonna go for a small lift initially boys okay and then they literally like lift you out through the back of the car okay everybody position we're gonna go again so moving Linda up the board four inches anybody not ready the whole process of carefully cutting away the roof and then painstakingly lifting Linda out of the car bit by bit takes 29 minutes that's a long time to wait before you can even start to treat somebody for their injuries. But firefighters are taught that that time and effort is worth it because the risk of damage from spinal injury is simply too great. That whole approach to extrication could soon change though because early data from recreations like the one Linda took part in suggests that movement minimization might be doing more harm than good. We've seen people who were suffering significant injuries and perhaps harm and perhaps death because of the time it was taking to get them out of the vehicle where it seemed that the risk of spinal injury was very low. This is Dr Tim Nutbeam, an NHS consultant in emergency medicine who's been leading the research into extrication techniques. He started questioning whether the fears around spinal movement are really justified after seeing a disconnect between the theory and real life. I attended the same courses which the fire and rescue personnel were attending. They trained with a glass of water on the dashboard to make sure they didn't knock it over. They talked about one millimetre of movement might take someone from being fully able to having a significant disability or killing them. And it, it just didn't tie up. The injuries I was seeing on scene, the injuries I was looking after in hospital, and the concerns of the fire and rescue services just didn't match. And then when you started to research this issue and kind of dig into some of the numbers, what did you start to find then? So we showed that the rate of spinal cord injury in the tracked population was very low. So that was about 0.7% of all the patients that we were extricating. We found out that there was an excess mortality associated with being trapped. And that carried through once you modelled for and tried to match across different injuries, ages, comorbidities. So just being trapped added to your risk of death and to your risk of severe injury. I mean, that's really surprising, actually, that it's it, yeah, a fraction of a percent of cases where that would be relevant. And for basically everybody else, it's just not the priority. What's really fascinating to me is I assumed that this, this, this number had changed over time. And perhaps spinal cord injuries used to be a real problem. And now they weren't, whether it be due to crumple zones or seatbelt use or safe system design or airbags. I assumed that, that that rate had changed over time. But there's a really nice data set from the UK uh, from the mid-60s. And the rate of spinal cord injury in that data set is 0.8%. 
So it almost matches exactly with our current experience. So to work out what might be going on here, you've been using these wreckage simulations. So you recruit people like Linda, you cover them in these sensors, and then you can measure how much their spine actually moves if you extricate them using different techniques. Can you tell me what you found in those experiments? What we found is that those techniques that we'd been taught were associated with minimal movement uh, didn't actually produce minimal movement. And the techniques that we'd been taught were associated with more movement. So the patient, for example, self-extricating, so doing active movements to get out of the car themselves, actually resulted in much less movement than any of the other techniques. So um, it, it, we've kind of turned this uh, paradigm on its head. That's why we need to step back and reconsider where we're at with these patients and reconsider the techniques that we use. Yeah, I mean, it's, you said you turned it on its head. It's almost like you've turned it upside down and inside out. Like it's completely, it's, it's completely all back to front. So, I mean, do you have any idea why that's the case? I mean, is it just that when somebody is allowed to, for example, free themselves from a wreckage, that they they naturally will um, minimise movement of, of their spine? I think if you're lying there passively, you can imagine being jiggled around on a on a large piece of plastic, not being able to predict what movements are coming, not knowing what's going on. Uh, you're probably going to move a bit more. Whereas if you've got complete control yourself, you know, you've got the support of the tendons in your neck, you've got the support of the musculature, knowing exactly what's going to occur. And your body's designed to do that. It's designed to support you and, and, and to look after you as you go through those movements. So we're taking a step away from absolute movement minimization, prioritizing active movements on the behalf of the patient. We think that will lead to shorter extrication times, better patient experience uh, and, and better patient outcomes. So, Linda Geddes, you have written some brilliant pieces for The Guardian about this research, and it really seems to show that not only is movement minimization just not a priority for the vast majority of people in car accidents, it also shows that this paradigm of keeping somebody still doesn't really do what we thought it did anyway. So what does this mean for how emergency services are going to approach accidents in the future? Are there plans to rewrite the guidelines in light of this work? Yeah, there are. So currently, there's only about 3% of UK fire and rescue services who use self-extrication, meaning, you know, getting the person to climb out of the vehicle themselves or with with minimal assistance. But these studies have been ongoing for, for some years now, led by Tim Nutbeam. And there is now a fairly strong consensus in the UK, at least, that things are going to change. So uh, various stakeholders including the National Fire Chiefs Council, um, the College of Paramedics, have recently published a consensus paper where they have agreed a set of principles for future guidance, including things like self or minimally assisted extrication should be the standard first line for trapped patients, if they're conscious, that is, um, and they're likely to be able to to stand on their own. Um, And that in general, trying to get people out of car wreckage or vehicle wreckage as quickly as possible should be the goal. It just shows how much of a shift there's been in perspective away from the way that things have been done for so long and how embedded this idea that movement is absolutely the worst thing to do to somebody in an accident has become. You know, that idea that you mustn't move somebody who's been injured, we've all heard that, you know, if you see somebody fall off their bike on the street, if, you know, if someone gets hit by a car, you know, as a pedestrian, 
you know, there's that whole thing of, oh no, you mustn't move them. You mustn't, you mustn't move them just in case they've got an injury. So it, it's not just in the emergency rescue services. All of us have have been kind of brought up with this idea that movement minimization is is the gold standard. And it's going to take a while to change that, I think. Linda, this has been such a fascinating story. Thanks so much for telling us about it. No worries. Thank you. Thanks again to Linda Geddes and Tim Nutbeam. You can find a link to Linda's reporting on this story on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. The producer was me, Anand Jagatia, and the executive producers were Lorna Stewart and Max Sanderson. See you next time. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. 